Hi, I'm Amy Porter, and this is my podcast. My mission is to show people how to empower themselves through music, business, and media. I try to see as clearly as possible how I can help. I showcase the music that I've played and the people I've met along the way. I'm a wife and a stepmom. You might know me as a professor, a performer, a producer, a publisher, a recording artist. I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. Welcome in to my Porter Flute Pod. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. It's our most popular platform today, performance therapy. Get out your piccolo notebook in this therapy session because in the pod with us is legendary Detroit musician Jeffrey Zuck. I'll ask him the questions you've asked me over the years. And always, there's questions from our producers, Justine Sedke and Alan J. Tomasetti. Here, I'm featuring Jeff performing with the Plymouth Symphony conducted by Nan Washburn. It's one of our favorites, the Concerto for Piccolo and Orchestra by Lowell Lieberman. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. I'm so happy you're here. There are some people that are legends. What does that mean in music exactly? I think it means that the entire town, city, and state knows who that person is. If you're from the town and you work hard and make a name for yourself in high school, and then you go away and come home again and do the thing that you've always dreamed of doing in the best place imaginable, that's the story behind legends. When the people of Detroit hear the name Jeffrey Zook, they smile and they think music. They know the wonderful offerings through music and management that he shows in the community. He's been a a leader. He's been in award-winning roles. He's been in teaching roles. I met Jeff in 1990 in the hallway of an NFA convention. We were colleagues in competition. And fast forward to 1999, we shook hands as colleagues in community. You never know when you meet another person in your field if they might become your colleague. Changing the world one flute player at a time isn't easy, but we tend to do that when we're in community. (laughs) And it's for a bigger reason than the networking or the prestige. It's service. It's bringing your humble, quiet presence to the cause, even if the work seems irrelevant. I'm so happy to celebrate the power that Jeffrey brings to the piccolo and his presence in the world of music. A member of the Detroit Symphony Orchestra flute section since 1992, Jeff Zook holds degrees from the University of Michigan, the Royal Northern College of Music and the Royal Academy of Music in London, where he received the coveted Recitalist's Diploma. Jeff has won top prizes in 
the NFA Young Artist Competition, the William Byrd National Concerto Competition in Flint, and has been awarded a grant from the National Endowment for Advancement of the Arts. Highly in demand as a teacher, Jeffrey Zook is the DSO Applied Faculty of Flute at Oakland University here in Detroit. Past teaching positions have included visiting professors of flute at Western Michigan and University of Michigan, and he served as chairman of the NFA Piccolo Committee and the past president of the Southeast Michigan Flute Association. I thank him for that. Jeff Zook resides here in Detroit with his husband, David Asimani, and their miniature pincher, Dexter, and they have a wonderful Dutch colonial home they call the Cambridge Conservatory. It's a venue that hosts recitals and workshops, musical feasts, and fundraisers. And I know I have enjoyed it every time I go. Jeff Zook currently plays on a 14-karat gold William S. Haynes flute and a Burkhart piccolo. Jeff Rizuk, welcome to Porter Flute Pod. Thank you, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here. Performance therapy, piccolo power is what I'm calling this podcast. And when you say the word piccolo to anyone, it gets a reaction from no words and just wide eyes to I love the piccolo to I can't stand the piccolo to oh, isn't the piccolo in the marches, don't they stand up every once, you know, once a year? (laughs) I like to start from the beginning. And the beginning is here at the University of Michigan. So being from Michigan, could you talk about your time here in the 80s? Absolutely. Yeah, I grew up in Jackson, Michigan, in the uh, 70s. And then in the the early 80s, I graduated from the Interlochen Arts Academy, where I studied with Jackie Hofto. And I got a scholarship to University of Michigan School of Music. And um, yeah, it was the, the the era of H. Robert Reynolds and uh, Gustav Meyer. And, uh, you know, uh, it was a different it was a different world. You know, I um, had the opportunity to study with two great teachers. Judith Bentley was my main teacher. She was the teacher at Bowling Green State University. And she used to drive up on Mondays. My, my lessons were at 8 a.m. And when I tried to complain to her about it, she said, what time do you think I got out of bed? Because <laughs> she had to drive from Bowling Green. Um, but she was a, a fantastic teacher. Um, and then I studied in England for a couple of years. I studied with William Bennett and Trevor Y. And when I came back, she had retired and Clem, Clem Barone was the, the adjunct flute teacher there. And um, that was just a treat. That was my senior year. And um, he was a consummate artist. He, everything he said was just like gold wisdom would come out of his mouth. And he, he talked a lot in, in, in analogies. Um, and he could help you get any kind of sound on, in, on, any, on any instrument. You know, it was, it was pretty amazing. I didn't study piccolo with him then. Uh, but when I was in England, I did study with Patricia Morris. She was an uh, adjunct at the school where Trevor Y was in Manchester, England. And you could have free lessons. Just uh, go ahead, sign up. So I just did. And uh, man, those were fantastic lessons. I didn't know much about the piccolo. Um, but uh, she, she was my introduction to the art of playing the piccolo. And she was actually writing her piccolo book at the time. So we were her guinea pig. She would give us little exercises. And she would say, how do these work together? And we would say, oh, there's a misprint on page 49 and all that. But um, that was my introduction. 
Um, when I came back uh, after my senior, after my, my year at the Royal Academy in London, I, I was the second flutist of the Detroit Symphony for one year. It was a one-year position. And uh, I sat with Clem Barone. I got to hear his sound every day. Because I had the experience with Pat Morris, I would sub on Piccolo when he wasn't there. And we went on tour to Europe. And they said, well, Clem can't fly because he had an ear problem with flying. So I moved over and I was the Piccolo player. I was like 26 or something, 25, 26. Incredible. And then what happened? I was young. Well, I, I played piccolo on the tour and people really liked my piccolo playing. And then when he retired um, a couple years later, uh, I was subbing in the orchestra. I, was, I took over his chair as the, the, the substitute piccolo player. And they said, are you going to audition? I was like, no, I hate the piccolo. What do you mean? I hate the piccolo. <laughs> I'm going to be a principal flutist of a major symphony orchestra. Don't you know that? And um so the audition started and it was over multiple weeks. And after the second week, they came to me and they said, Jeff, like no one can play as well as you. We're not being biased. We're not being like secret, secretive behind the screen, but here's the packet for the semifinal rounds. Just show up and play. <laughs> and so I was like, I was like, okay, why not? So I just treated it like a gig, like, okay, I'm going to go to this gig. I'm going to play these 12 pieces. And, um, I, pr I practiced for like a week <laughs> and I showed up and, um, yeah, I won the job. <laughs> and uh I, wow. I, I really I didn't really want it um you had to get right I, with it right you had yeah kind of had to get right with it yeah I took a while and I remember my first day on the job Shaul Benmir he liked to put his hand on your shoulder he said Jeff he called me Jeffy Jeffy he says you're a great he said, you're a good piccolo player congratulations but it's going to take a year at least for you to understand the job like how to play with the oboe how to play with the bassoon how to play with the violins and he says, it takes time to just become a piccolo player. You're, you're not that yet. And um, he was right. You know, there's nothing like experience, as you know, to, to figure out how to drive the Jaguar, you know, or Pinto. What depends on what instrument you have in your hand, right? You still got to drive it. And um, uh, remember when I, when I joined a second flute, uh, Irv Monroe turned to me and he, I just left the, the, the Trevor Y study in Manchester. And he said, you know, you studied with some great teachers in your life, Jeff. He says, but your real education begins today. And I was like, don't you know who I am? Give me, give me the Rodrigo. I can play anything. I'm ready. And after a week in the orchestra, I turned to him and was like, oh my God, you are so right. Like I'm learning so much about how to play an orchestra that I thought I knew, but you don't know until you get there. And I, and I was an orchestra nerd. I listened and listened and listened and studied and studied and studied. But it's nothing like getting sitting in that chair. So I, I joined the, the the piccolo as piccolo player in 1992, and I just celebrated my 30th season. Because you had this fortune of playing with H. Robert Reynolds in this amazing symphony band and with Gustav Meyer in the amazing symphony orchestra, let's talk about requirements of the piccolo in the bachelor's degree. Um, when should a student prepare for the piccolo? Uh, is it in high school? Uh, if it is, if they don't have high school experience, 
Should they jump into the piccolo right away? I mean, help us out. Why do we need a piccolo for an undergrad degree? That's a really great question. And and you look at students in high school and college and they play the piccolo. If they do play the piccolo, it's because they're good at it. Like, you know what? I picked it up and it's easy for me to do it. So I'm just going to do it. If it's a struggle, they were like me. I would just like put it under my, I don't have a piccolo. They'd be like, there's piccolo in the audition. I'm sorry. I don't, I can play all the first flute solos, but I, I don't, I would just hide it. Like, don't pick me, you know, I would hide because I wasn't very good at it. Right. Yeah. That's but a the therapy re- moment too. Right. We think we're bad at piccolo because we tried it and, and it didn't work out. <laughs> but what Clem Barone, his mantra was, there's always another way. There's always another way. And he taught me that you have to, you have to experiment. There's not just one way. And if it's the first way you blow the piccolo doesn't work for you, you got to find another way. So I was lucky I had some great teachers to hold my hand and show me uh, ways to do that. Um, but uh, to be honest, uh, let's just talk a little bit about auditioning uh, in, in the real world. I can't think of any audition where it wasn't a principal flute, where there wasn't some piccolo asked. Uh, assistant flute, um, second flute. When Sharon Sparrow won her job here, with a, a second, when she originally was second flute here, um, it came down to her and another candidate, and they said they, they, the conductor wanted one, the committee wanted another. We don't know what to do. So let's hear him play the piccolo. They brought them both out. Sharon prepared the piccolo to a professional level, and the conductor said, "We need someone who can move over and take Jeff's position if he's sick. She gets the job." Of course. And so if it's on the audition list, just prepare it. If it's a piccolo piece, don't be like, "I'll just, you know, I'll get an embouchure the day before." Do it every day. If it says Peter and the Wolf, learn the whole thing. How many times have they said, I said, let's hear the arpeggios, the A-flat major arpeggios. Well, do you think they're going to ask that? Well, it says Peter and the Wolf. It's a whole piece. It's not just the first eight bars. So if it says piccolo, you have to have a relationship with the piccolo. If you want the job, or or you can play the lottery and say, maybe I'll sound good on the piccolo that day, you know? So it, it's, a, it's an attitude of surrender and say, I surrender myself to this list. And I'm going to do everything I can to play everything to the best of my ability. And that means not ignoring the piccolo. So when I teach the piccolo at Oakland University, it's a 12-week course. And we start, the first week is 90% flute and 10% piccolo. And I might just say, let's try try putting the piccolo a little bit higher on your lip and, and angle it forward just a little bit and do these two lines of tone and come back. And I'll check on that. And then the next week, we'll do a little bit more. And we'll talk about support. We'll talk about the throat. Um We'll talk about the nasal cavity and, and 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 add to that tone a little bit. And and then maybe we'll go into the middle register and then coax into the high register. And so it's a package deal. So if one of these things, these foundational things are missing, there's no point in going on. So I say I start with 20, 10% piccolo, 20%. So by the end of the semester, it's 90% piccolo, 10% flute. And and that's the relationship of the flute to the piccolo. They're not separate. You have to have a tactile feel. When I put the flute up and then when I put the piccolo up, it's not. I have to have a relationship with it, you know, going back and forth. Um, and that takes practice as well. So it's not just people want to come to just play piccolo. I was like, no, no, no. You got to play the flute. I got to see. Let's see what you're doing with your flute, with your breathing. And maybe that'll help your piccolo. It's it's like a package deal. So playing high and soft in the high register may be impossible if you're not supporting correctly. If you're not using your embouchure correctly, if your throat's tight, there's, there's, there's many things you have to experiment with at different levels. If you do study the piccolo alongside the flute in your undergrad and you are in these ensembles switching back and forth, 
by the time you're playing an audition, it's not a stranger anymore. And you don't look at the piccolo as second. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm not saying you have to like fall in love with the piccolo, but you have to nurture your relationship with the instrument. You can't, you can't just ignore it. And I'm going to tell you what, Sharon Sparrow did not ignore it. And I'll tell you something. She does not like to play the piccolo. So now we know that piccolo could be called in a flute audition. How much flute is involved in a piccolo audition? So in most major orchestras, they will never have just a list of piccolo excerpts. They will always start with a flute concerto and two or three flute excerpts, maybe more, especially if a lot of the smaller orchestras, the second flutist is the piccoloist. So you have to play both. But um, I'll tell you, often people come to take piccolo lessons with me and they'll be taking the audition. I'll say, let's take a look at the list. And I'll say, oh, um, Leonore Overture number three on the flute. Do you want to start with that? And they were like, well, that's okay. I just I just want to work on the piccolo excerpts. I was like, well, can you can you play the Leonore Witcher number three on the flute while you play the piccolo? And it's it's you know, I was thinking of Jennifer Gunn. I heard her play the flute uh during COVID. She did a chamber recital on the stage of Orchestra Hall in Chicago. And I thought, this is a this is the flutist. You know, she doesn't sound like a piccoloist playing the flute. She's like, is she the flutist when she's playing the piccolo? She's a piccoloist. So it's like, I am I a flutist who just kind of plays the piccolo or a piccolo enthusiast who kind of plays the flute? You know, we have to nurture that uh, relationship. So even though we might not have a love relationship with one or the other, like I know piccoloists who don't like to play the flute. But, you know, if you're, if you're going to play in a major orchestra, like I sometimes I have to move on. this tomorrow. I'm playing principal flute with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. I'm not playing piccolo until next week um you've got to have that agility and uh level of craftsmanship and artistry on both so don't ignore it i'll take a commercial break here to remind you that the anatomy of sound workshop you know and love has found a new home online it's called aos hyphen wellness and we are here for you as a faculty to provide resources and products for arts educators and performing artists. Join for six months or one year and get our five changing channels every month, plus the back content from previous months. Those channels are wisdom, movement, meditation, breathing, and practice. So after this show, you can go to porterflute.com slash AOS and learn more. You can opt in for our seven-day trial and get access to my popular focus sheet, along with all of the wisdom we're bringing to you from our amazing faculty, only at the Anatomy of Sound. All right, then give us some exercises and routines that you do for the piccolo and and the question from my producers are are the exercises and routines different from the flute to the piccolo is achieving a good tone on the piccolo the same as what you do for the flute or are the exercises and routines different for me i have to take a scan like how am i doing with the flute how am i doing the piccolo every day and i always start with the flute so if my flute tone is not optimal um, then I have to spend more time warming up on the flute and getting that, that relationship ready. Cause it usually is, I'm not using my air, right? Okay. It's usually something to do with my air. Um, maybe the last, like last night we played a Shostakovich symphony. I was squirreling around on the third octave fortissimo on the piccolo. I wake up, my, my lips might be a little tense. So I have to like take care of that. I have to like, take care. 
So I will do whistle tones. I will do harmonics. I'll do a lot of low tone, low register diaphragm attacks to relax the embouchure so that I can, I can, I can get the basis for my flute tone before I go back to the piccolo. Um, often like I'll warm down after the concert, uh, right on stage while people are packing up, I'll just play some low flute tones just to make sure my embouchure can just, before I put everything to bed, make sure my embouchure just relaxes a little bit. And uh, Sharon always laughs, she says, you sound like an alto flute because my, my, my lips are pretty, like they may be a little wound if, if we pl played a lot of third octave stuff, but um, I, I have to like take care of that um, so that I don't get stuck up with my embouchure. Another question from our producers. Is there such a thing as practicing too much piccolo? Can your lips get too tired or your ears can't take the high frequencies at a certain point? Oh, definitely. You have to, again, take, it's like you, if you just go in the gym and you're like, okay, I'm just going to run a marathon now, you know, you're going to hurt yourself. Um, same with the piccolo. I, I get sometimes get over ambitious if I haven't been in shape. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do like two hours stuff like that. I have to take breaks and go back to the flute to make sure that relationship is there. Because once that relationship is gone, I'm going on a, a bad course with the piccolo. I got to keep that relationship with my tone on the flute and the the air on the flute so that I don't start overusing, let's say, the embouchure uh, on the piccolo. Um, because once you start doing that too much, then the muscles don't, will, when I take a break and come back, my muscles won't respond. They won't remember. So it's it's important to take breaks. Always, you know, go back, refresh with the flute. Sometimes it takes a little longer. <laughs> yeah, so I start my, my piccolo practice with flute. Uh, then I go to piccolo, and then I always go back to the flute. And then I put everything away. So I always had that foundation. And it's it's a tactile feeling. You know, it's a, it, I remember asking a doubler when I was at U of M. He, he played saxophone and piccolo and bassoon and clarinet. And I said, how do you... How do you deal with like it? Sometimes it takes me a while to you switch from flute to piccolo. He's like, as soon as I pick up the the, the clarinet, I imagine what my amateur feels like inside my mouth. And if I practice that imagination, and then the muscles start to form before the horn comes up. So changing from the flute to piccolo, that's something you need to practice as well. Because when we play like the Nutcracker, and all of a sudden we're playing third flute on the dance of the Merlitons and popping out these low C sharps, <laughs> they're, they're not even going to come out if you don't have the flexibility. Hoot, 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 hoot. Exactly. <laughs> Do you wear uh, earplugs when you practice the piccolo? I do. If it's a, a lot of, I mean, if it's a lot of third octave, uh, I have these, I found at the garage sale, these these orange silencer headphones that they use at the airport. You see the, the people directing air traffic with these <laughs> headphones on. I think they're using gun, gun ranges too. Um, yeah. David calls them. He says, you got your Princess Leia headphones on going around practice like this. <laughs> those those have saved me, though. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, something you, they're, they're attenuator uh, earplugs. I don't have any of those, but some of my colleagues do. But um, it's important to, uh, you know, I, I find that also, you know, in practicing the third octave, it helps to have the earplugs in sometimes because um, when I don't have that strain on my ear, I can be more relaxed with my my embouchure. Well, there you go. I'm not, like, trying to, trying to squeeze it out, right? Just yeah. um, airflow.
C-sharp drill, vented C key, is it worth it or not necessary? You know, a lot of my colleagues have the C-sharp drill key on their piccolo and I kind of covet. I'm like, God, that would be nice. I can think of several instances when I wish I had it. But every time I've tried it, it just feels cumbersome to me. And so I'm like, not for me. And uh, when I bought my last piccolo from uh, Burkhart, uh, there was a, a C, C venting mechanism. And I was like, I, I think I'll, I want to have this little thing because I can use it sometimes, you know, I don't need it. Um, but I, I found fun little things. There's a there's a thing in the Mahler Fifth Symphony where the piccolo has to play a bunch of middle E's. Da, 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 dum. And I was like, if I vent that note, I can hit that E really hard and it doesn't crack. I'm like, oh, you know, who knew? You know, like there's there's lots of uses for for that. So um, sometimes, like, you know, if I'm playing a soft high note, I can just slide off that a little bit. But uh, cylindrical piccolo, and they play so easily in the third octave, like for Shostakovich, that's what I want. I want to borrow that, borrow oh, that silver Haynes and okay. um, liked it on the flute. It wasn't comfortable for me, but um I have a lot of students who end up, especially the Hamig has a lot of uh, options with the wave I've noticed and um, they sound great. So I think it has to do, you have to check your comfort, but also your sound. Last little bit of advice is don't go and buy a piccolo if you don't know how to play the piccolo. And people come like, I got these, pic I bought this piccolo. I'm like, why? Is it, well, it's the one I sounded best on. I said, but you don't know how to play it. So we start working and then after uh, three to four weeks, we start working on like intonation or dynamics and they can't do anything because this piccolo doesn't have that capability. So A, make sure you have experience, go borrow a piccolo if you need to, or, you know, get one from a friend or whatever, but don't go trying piccolos if you don't know, because a lot of these piccolos are made for people who don't play the piccolo. So you pick them up and they, bam, the sound comes out, but it's not flexible. It's not, this has no depth of sound. The intonation isn't correct. So it's kind of a, I don't say it's a trick, but people get sucked into buying maybe an instrument that they, they're attracted to, but they don't realize that once they get into the piccolo, it doesn't give them what they really need. So um, make sure you know how to play the piccolo and also ask a piccolo player. Go play for it and say, what did you think? Some of your students came over this year with piccolos to try. I'm like, thank you. And because yes. I, I have an ear, I have an ear, an educated ear uh, about what what are the what what are the pitfalls in, in instruments? And they're 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 tiny no pun intended pitfalls are tiny but once but you can't you don't even know they're there until you look deeply so it's important to um have some aptitude but also get some help don't do it on your own i feel like when we're young we can't determine what's best for us so i'll speak personally my mother in 19 oh let's say 1977 <laughs> 78 i was a sophomore in high school showing that I had promise that I should really, you know, play piccolo in the youth orchestra of Gr greater Philadelphia. So they bought me a metal piccolo and, you know, we can giggle, but some of those metal piccolos weren't bad. Can you talk to the wood that's used on the piccolo and maybe speak to why metal piccolos aren't that bad? Well, I have a friend who has a metal Hanes and I keep telling him, whenever you want a $500 bill, you can walk down. I'll give you a $500 bill for that piccolo. I want right? that piccolo. Because right. it plays, it's a, you know, it's, it's a cylindrical piccolo and they play so easily in the third octave, like for Shostakovich. That's what I want. I want to borrow that, borrow oh. that silver Hanes. And okay. um, so um, 
it's uh it's a it's a different it's a different animal and they they play very easily and that's why they're used in bands a lot. Unfortunately, the, the the tone itself is a little too strident for everyday playing and the orchestra doesn't have the flexibility, doesn't have the depth of sound that a, a, a wooden instrument would have. So I would um you know you know it would be like an addition to my repertoire of instruments if I had a silver piccolo. I I've also wanted to get a D flat piccolo um for certain passages that are like a little easier um in a different key like the some people play Tchaikovsky's fourth symphony on the d-flat piccolo i don't i don't really need that so it'd be like a, just a toy <laughs> but uh yeah it in the orchestra yeah no it, it is fun and there, there's a funny it? story about Go the ahead. cleveland orchestra and george Zell, uh, saw this man had a wooden a silver piccolo and he said uh you need there were, there were two piccolos of berlioz uh Faust or something, damnation of Faust, and he said, "Sir, with with the you know, silver piccolo, your your tone does not match your colleague. Can you please get a wooden piccolo by by tomorrow's concert?" So uh, he uh, took some black shoe polish and he painted his piccolo black. <laughs> and George Zell said, "Now the tones match. Thank you, thank you." <laughs> we'll just leave that there. Well, part of this therapy platform has to include fingerings and intonation and playing softly, all virtual landmines for a piccolo player. So what recommendations do you have um, for exercises in these areas? I know you've covered a, a lot of different concepts about needing to be a great flutist in these areas, and then you, you could maybe tap your foot into the water of the piccolo, but Okay, for instance, I've heard play the second movement of the Poulenc Sonata on the piccolo, right, as a way to practice, but it doesn't cover all the issues. So do you have a favorite book? Do you have your own book? What recommendations do you have? Yes. Yeah, that, that's a good exercise, I think. And uh, um, every lesson with Clemberone would start with, why don't you start with night soliloquy and well, on the piccolo? And we would start. Start with that, or or the Gluck um, Dance of the Blessed Spirits, and he would warm up backstage on these these two pieces often, and it's it's a great way to just test your artistry, you know, not just your facility on the instrument, but your artistry, and that's what he always he was like a great Italian singer coach, like always had to sing every note had to be be uh, singing and vibrant, and um, so I think adapting pieces from the flute repertoire and exercises from the flute repertoire is an excellent idea. Um, one book that's, uh, so I, I do teach this piccolo semester at Open University, and the, uh, one of the required books is the piccolo book by Jan Gippo. Um, I think it was published by Burkhardt Company, but it, it has every fingering possible for the piccolo, every trill fingering, every alternate fingering, and um, you just need to sit down with your piccolo and a tuner and check them out, check them out. There are certain fingerings that I, I like, I rarely use the regular flute fingerings uh, in the in the third octave, especially, um, and there's a I have a whole host of them that I, I can pull out um, at any moment, depending on sometimes like which oboist am I playing that C sharp with? Is it, is it him or her? And I can play a different uh, combination to change the timbre just slightly. And this is what the you know that experience like you can only figure that out over time. But the, the, so the Jan Gippo book is a, a definite must. Let's spell. 
Jan Gippo, J-A-N and then G-I-P-P-O for everyone. Thank you. I was thinking that too, as I said it. So the, the other two books I recommend for my students are Learning the Piccolo by Clement Barone. And he's compiled uh, a, a booklet of etudes and solos for the piccolo. And I use that in my teaching, uh, along with the Nicola Mazzanti Daily Piccolo book. Uh, this book, is, I keep this with me. I, I, I get to the hall 30 minutes early and I go in the practice room and I play this book before I walk on stage every day, if I haven't already done an hour at home. I also use the tone development through interpretation by uh, Marcel Moise. The, the tone exercises in the back are excellent. Um, one other resource that has is, is sprung up since COVID is the International Piccolo Academy. Nicola Mazzanti started an online uh, video cast uh, every week with a piccolo player from all over the world. And uh, after the collection got very large, he decided to start an online piccolo academy, which just uh, launched recently. So if you go to the International Piccolo Academy, you can see videos from piccoloists all over the world giving short little master classes. Um, this is invaluable. I can I could I could spend hours watching these 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 great artists. Um, and it's I, I send my piccolo students to them, like go watch her that thing on high notes, go watch her thing on how to tongue, you know. And um, that's uh, he has really created an amazing resource for piccolos and inspiration to me. And I've been doing it a long time. So it's it's how else would I meet the piccolos from the Munich Opera? Hmm? How else? Okay, so where can we find this International Piccolo Academy? Yes. Awesome. Okay, Jeff, let's get beyond Vivaldi. What are your favorite solo pieces for piccolo? We had um, a guest composer, of course, Daniel Dorf. He wrote a piece for piccolo and bass clarinet, for instance. Are there any new pieces out there? Um, your favorite solo pieces for, for piccolo? Um, what can we do with our repertoire to be more inclusive and cutting edge? Cutting edge, yes. Um, well, of course, Lieberman wrote this uh, wonderful piccolo concerto. And there's another uh, film composer, his name is Bruce Broughton, B-R-O-U-G-H-T-O-N, who wrote a piccolo concerto for, I think, Jan Gippo, actually. And it's very accessible, very beautiful piece. Martin Amlin has written a ton for the piccolo, uh, both with the piano and, yeah, I think he has a concerto for piccolo. Pieces I tend to have my students work on are pieces by Gary Shocker, uh, Daniel Dorf, Mike Maurer. Um, and I was introduced to uh, a piece. Catherine Goodson came to me. She said, I'm playing this piece in Aspen. It's for piccolo and contrabassoon and piano. Can I come read it? I want to read through it. with." So we got our contrabassoon player. And um, it was this big, thick score. And I, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a joke. Piccolo and contrabassoon? The composer's name was Stephen Huff, H-O-U-G-H. And we started to play it. And I, I started crying. I started crying. I was like, this is one of the most beautiful, tender thing. It's called um, What Happens to the Tears. It's actually about tears. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know what the piece was called because I thought it would be a joke, you know, with that instrumentation. So uh, he also wrote a, a solo piece uh, for Piccolo Solo. And then I uh, had the NFA commission a Piccolo Sonata uh, for a Piccolo piece for uh, Piccolo and Piano, which I performed at, I think, the Chicago Convention a few years ago. Um, and I think they're all very accessible. Um, they have a, a beautiful language of harmonies that, uh, that, that just touches me. So I, I, I love the pieces of Stephen Huff, especially the one for flute, contrabassoon, and piano, if you can believe that. 
Let me take one more opportunity to introduce you to the anatomy of sound where you can do a 34 minute yoga class or several different meditations all for free. You can see more of our content at AOS hyphen wellness. And if you're on our Porter flute website, it's porterflute.com slash AOS. Check us out for memberships and products that help the performing artist and arts educators. Well, let's give some final thoughts that only you can give. Like you have just wonderful advice, sage advice, much like your teacher, Clem Barone. You're just beloved by uh, so many. So uh, what are some final thoughts for our performance therapy platform that you can give us before we leave the session with you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, this first comes to mind, probably one of the most incredible lessons I had with Clem Barone. I was playing a Tchaikovsky Fourth Symphony for the first time with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. I went over to his house down in the basement and uh, we worked on the, the famous solo for 20, 30 minutes. And then he turns the page to the last movement and he goes, let's let's play this now. And I said, you know, I played that in band. I I, I know this last movement. I, I, I'm i okay with that. Let, let's do this other piece by Prokofiev that's coming up. I want to, you know, help, help on that. And he said, no, 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 no. Let, let, let's 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 take a look at the last moment of Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony, and and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, "Every time we play this piece, we have to find a new way to play the groupings a little better, the intonation a little, little more in particular, but how can we play it a little more musical than last time?" And he 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 kicked my butt on it. I was literally sweating. We we worked for this an hour in the last moment of Check Four. And he taught me that there's always another way. And he, he said, when you stop thinking like this, Jeff, you'll be like the last chair violinist who's just there phoning it in for the paycheck. He says, you don't ever want to become that. And that, that lesson never left my, you know, when I'm kind of falling asleep uh, in a Pops concert, I think about that. Like, how, can I make this articulation a little better, even though it's just a, a silly Beatles tune? Can I make my intonation a little crisper? Can it? Can I make my tone clearer? I'm. I'm always. I got that sentiment always. So it's about artistry. It's not about just technique, you know. And I learn. I'm fortunate to sit in an orchestra with 92 other great musicians. So when I'm sitting there counting my 45 minutes before I come in and I check for symphony, I'm not spacing out. I'm watching that second violinist next to me, watching his left hand and comparing it to the person next to him. Like why is he? Why is this vibrato different than hers? Or 
listening to that beautiful English horn, the bassoon solo, and listening to his phrasing, going, wow, I like how he connects those two notes. wonder how he does that. Always listening with humility um, keeps us uh, engaged in this incredible career. That's fantastic. Well, thanks for being with me today on Porter Flute Pod. My pleasure. I'd like to thank Jeff Zook for being in Porter Flute Pod today. You can find more about him at jeffzook.com, J-E-F-F-Z-O-O-K.com, and hear him live in Orchestra Hall with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. If you'd like to visit us over at our website, it's porterflute.com. amyporter.com is for students and everyone else. So you can click on UMICH FAQs or Porter's curriculum to learn more. You can find me as Porter Flute and Anatomy of Sound on YouTube. And on Facebook and Instagram, I'm Porter Flute and AOS Wellness. Thanks for being here. I'm so grateful for you.